Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers is a bi-weekly podcast presented by Partners in Promise. Partners in Promise is a nonprofit dedicated to protecting the rights of military children in special education. Large organizations like the military have learned to love the status quo. But at Partners in Promise, we believe in being disruptive as we have learned that having easy conversations rarely leads to real change in special education or in the military. We are storytellers who aren't afraid to get a little disruptive. Disruptive Storytelling is sponsored by the Modern Military Association of America. Founded in 1993, MMAA is the nation's largest nonprofit organization dedicated to advancing fairness and equality for the LGBTQ military and veteran community. Learn more about what the changemakers at MMAA are up to at modernmilitary.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Disruptive Storytelling with Military Changemakers. I'm your host, Jennifer Barnhill. I'm the Chief Operating Officer for Partners in Promise, and I'm super excited today to be joined by Kelsey Liverpool. Kelsey is the co-founder and executive director of KidsRank, founded in 2012 as a nonprofit organization designated specifically to support the social and emotional well-being of military and veteran children. Kelsey has been a Navy spouse for 17 years, moving with her family a total of nine times and volunteering at many installations along the way. Kelsey understands firsthand the challenges that are faced by children and families of service members. Inspired by her own children's resilience through many moves, separation, and constant transitions, Kelsey felt it was important to focus on the whole child, recognizing both their strengths and their challenges. She is with us today to share what she has learned working alongside military children over the years and the stigma that their families have faced just because they needed to ask for help. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Jennifer Barnhill with Partners in Promise. And today on the podcast, we are joined by Kelsey Liverpool. Kelsey is the co-founder and executive director of Kids Rank. Welcome, first of all. Welcome, Kelsey. I'm happy to have you here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're here talking about stigma um, in this season of the podcast. And so many people may be wondering, well, why are we talking to Kelsey of Kids Rank about stigma? And there's a lot that we have talked about offline, but can you just give us a little bit of a background on Kids Rank and kind of how that all started and what your mission and purpose is in this space? Sure. Um, So hi, everyone. I'm Kelsey. Um, I was a Navy spouse for 17 years and so have two military kiddos of my own who actually are basically adults now. My uh, younger one's 17, my older one is 20 and and is in boot camp right now to become a Coastie. So we're super proud of her and excited. But we really started the organization um, because of them. um, We saw a a lack in programming, kind of a, a gap in services for our military kids as we were transitioning you know, from community to community, you know, something that they could feel grounded in and feel connected to, to each other. And so we wanted to create something 
that built on their strengths, but also fostered a sense of belonging with them and the communities that they were currently calling home. And so I've been doing this about 10 years now, and it just is really, we have been adjusting and adapting based on the things that we are seeing in our kids and, you know, kind of this, this mental health and, you know, we support their social and emotional well-being, And, you know, we just are, you know, it's, it's really kind of fascinating and exciting to kind of see where, where things are going and, and, you know, where we can really lean in and step in and be, you know, more support. Definitely. And I know that's how we kind of connected at Partners in Promise is that, you know, you embrace all of the organizations around to kind of come around those children and the various aspects of need. So one, you know, obviously Partners in Promise is focused on helping um, those who have exceptional learning needs or physical needs and enrolled in the EFMP program. But there are a lot of things that our families have faced as far as stigma is concerned and the stigma of asking for help within the military community. There's a lot of acknowledged issues with adults. We know about the suicide rates for military spouses. We know about veteran suicide rates. We know that people are less likely maybe than the average to ask for help. But what does that look like in your community with children? Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean, I think military, I mean, as we all know, is a culture, you know, and so that doesn't just specifically mean the parents, it also, you know, that that trickle down effect to the kids is real. And learning over this last few years, you know, seeing or, you know, several years seeing, you know, the impact of, you know, you figure if a parent is struggling with post-traumatic stress or anxiety or depression or any of those things, the kids are in these households. And so, you know, those type of things are are meaningful and impactful. And so, you know, for our military kids, you figure that a service member or a veteran can go to the VA and get mental health help. And that's not the case for our kids. I mean, they, they cannot be seen at the VA for mental health. And so they're referred to our civilian community. And you figure if our civilian providers are not educated around military culture, there's going to be a disconnect or a gap um, in how they're being treated. And, and I, I keep saying, I don't necessarily think that their diagnosis is always incorrect, but sometimes even just as simple as how it's delivered and the language that's used and can really be off-putting to our families, to our kids. It can be sometimes a little more aggressive than is needed for the situation. And so we're, we're really trying to, as you say, I mean, we, we like to work with lots of organizations and um, my favorite piece of research talks about building communities of care. Uh, actually, Dr. Becky Porter of Military Child Education Coalition is the co-author of that. And it really is, you know, I've, I've stuck by that because I feel like we do what we do really well. And so it's important to find other organizations like Partners in Promise and Camp Corral or, you know, um, you know, there's there are a, a nice handful of organizations that serve military kids to make sure that they're getting you know, what they need and best helping them to become young people and thrive in their communities. So for those of us who maybe don't have that experience with mental health and their, their own children dealing with mental health issues, what does that look like in a child who comes to your organization? Can you give us a little bit of an example, you know, not one particular person, but just more of a walk us through what that might look like when a family comes to you, what are they dealing with? Yeah. I mean, so we've noticed over the last few years, especially we've seen a lot of kids that seem to have kind of 
emotional regulation, you know, challenges, I think the stress and anxiety of the moving and, you know, kind of where we are in the world. And so we really try to, our, our leaders, many of them are students from, you know, uh, licensed clinical social workers um, or, or counseling. And so as we do our training, we ourselves are not here to, to provide therapy, but we do train our leaders so that they can recognize, you know, when there might be a challenge. And, and when that's the case, we, we want to make sure that we are having conversations with, with families, with, you know, school counselors um, where necessary. We had a young woman or, you know, one of our, our youth, uh, we did a, a project where she, we were doing self-portraits and they had to, you know, kind of write, you know, what that looked like. And she, on her, her paper, she had drawn herself, but all of these really, like her mouth was covered and she had all these really sad words, like dizzy and crazy and sad and smile on the outside, but, you know, hurting on the inside, like written on her sheet and nothing was overtly, it wasn't suicidal, but it, it was very heavy for a 13 year old. And our leader recognized it right away and came to us. And so we were able to reach out to her parents and as well as the school counselor, just so that we all had eyes on her. And it turned out, we learned through that process that her best friend from the year before, who also was military, had PCS and moved. That was her kind of her lifeline, her one friend that she had. And so now, you know, she was left in eighth grade with, you know, feeling a little bit on the outside. And so our program was helpful because, you know, there were other kids that she connected with, but I think she was still having a hard time, you know, losing that connection. And so I think for our, you know, what's really wonderful, I think, and about what we do is we really want to get to know the kids so that we can see, you know, when there might be changes in, in, you know, in attitude or, or personality or things like that. And then we can, you know, talk to the parents and really just figure out a process. So we ourselves are not, you know, like I said, licensed clinical social workers to, to, to provide therapy, but who can we get involved to make sure that this child doesn't fall through the cracks? Absolutely. And I know that it's, you know, it's important to have that community of care, as you mentioned before, of, of people coming around. When we're talking about stigma and, and the different generations, stigma presents itself very differently, you know, in different cultures, different um, age groups react to different labels differently. I know I said different so many times, but, <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? So my generation, our, our generation might react differently to a teenager, to being someone coming out um, or someone saying, I have mental health issues. Are you finding that uh, children are more or less likely or just as likely to be okay or not okay with these labels of having a mental, either mental health crisis moment, you know, and asking for help or maybe having a medical diagnosis? Well, it's interesting. I think that there there's more language around mental health right now. You know, um, I think that people are talking about it more. I was actually just talking to a friend earlier this morning and we were talking about how mental health is so kind of common, you know, so the language around it, like I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling this or I'm feeling that 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 wasn't the case when I was growing up. You kind of just push through and especially in military culture. I mean, you, you don't talk about that kind of stuff. I mean, the stigma in, around mental health for our service member families is, is really real. But now, I mean, it's interesting. So my, as I said, my, my own daughter is in the Coast Guard, but right before she went, when she was in the process of applying to get in, she got flagged because she, in college, her, her, her freshman year had gone to see a counselor just 
normal stuff of, you know, your freshman year of college, you're away from home, you know, you, you have friend circles and, you know, challenges and you're feeling stressed. And so she went to the campus uh, counselor's office to, to talk just as we've, you know, kind of, we're trying to normalize, right, mental health and giving our kids tools to feel like they can go and open up and, and not bottle it up and have it, you know, uh, you know, explode. And so she did what she was supposed to do. And so when it was time for her, fast forward two years, um, to, as she's applying to go into the Coast Guard, she got flagged and almost did not get into the Coast Guard because she was uh, the the provider who was actually a student and not a um, not yet a licensed clinical social worker had written that she was uh, had anxiety, which again words have a lot of power and meaning. And so, I I for me I feel like you know she had anxious feelings. That's very different than having anxiety. And so you know, it's, it's a twofold thing, right? So it's uh, educating our providers on like, really, like, how do we express these things? And how are we writing these in, in people's permanent records, right? But then from the from the military side, how are they really assessing this? Because you have now this whole new generation of young people, according to statistics, more than 50% of our current currently serving are children of veterans. So you have these young people now that are, you know, more aware of mental health, more aware going to counselors, seeking out help when they when they're having, you know, challenges, uh, and things like that. But is that going to deter them? Or are they going to have trouble, you know, when later in life, when they maybe want to enlist or go, you know, go to one of the academies from getting in. So, I mean, I think this is a conversation that we really need to be talking about because, you know, you can have a whole, you know, a, a large portion of our, our, you know, potential uh, future military members that could be disqualified based on, you know, help that they should be getting, right? So I feel like they should be getting help around mental health, how to learn, how to, to regulate their emotions and deal with their stress, deal with their, you know, so that when they do go into the military, they're able to cope, they're able to thrive and really do well and be confident and, and strong leaders. And so it just, it was, it was such a challenge. I mean, to see your own child have to go through this when she worked so hard um, and, and knowing that she really, you know, good, you know, it, it had a happy ending. She did get in, you know, she's in boot camp now, you know, we're all good. But but it was really it was it was pretty devastating when it was going on because she she really had worked hard to get to that place. And she really was doing, you know, I had taught her, which is, you know, if you are having if you're struggling, you should talk to somebody. So, yeah, just a lot of emotions and feelings around that. But I but I think that we have to really be mindful of where our our military children are now and really be talking about, you know, not just with our civilian friends and providers and community, but also, you know, our military and DOD around how how we're talking and thinking about mental health as it relates to the kids now, because they really are our future. Absolutely. And you know that this kind of crosses over into the work that Partners in Promise does when we're talking about the educational component, not just, you know, mental health component, but getting diagnosed with a learning disability mm -hmm. can do the same thing yeah. um, right. to students where often we'll hear, I, I would like to think well-meaning 
advisors or teachers um, in those individual education program meetings, IEP meetings, talking about, you don't want to label your kid, right? but in order to get the services and the help that they need, we need those labels. Yeah. But at the same time, some of these bureaucratic processes that are in place (laughs) require, you know, a mass production kind of, you know, I think of like, okay, I'm going to really date myself because this is even before my time, but the I love Lucy conveyor belt thing where you have the chocolate, like, <laughs> yeah, the chocolate. So, I mean, I, again, that's before my time, but I know it and it's funny. And if you don't know what that is, go ahead and look up. I love Lucy chocolate on the conveyor belt. It's really funny, but it is the process. It's not that the DOD doesn't want to embrace these struggles that our families are facing. I don't know if you agree, but we've seen that there is a lot of responsiveness to helping yeah. individuals, but the processes in place don't necessarily lend themselves to that one-on-one individualized care. And so it's our job to talk about it, to normalize it, and to hopefully influence how some of these processes are, if they're in place, how can we improve them? How can we ask that they be reevaluated? This podcast is called Disruptive Storytelling for a reason. <laughs> and, and we believe that positive change can come just by talking about these things. And you layer in the gray, right? So you have a small process, but then you have to, you know, that that is, you know, kind of for the bigger population. But then within there, you know, they're obviously individual. There should be some, to your point, some processes that, you know, speak to case by case, you know, because not everybody's uh, situation is going to be the same. I mean, uh, you've talked about it with Partners in Promise that that it is such an individual, you know, process. I mean, like every story is pretty unique, you know, when you start to look at the family structure or the mental well-being of somebody or their, you know, their environment. I mean, there are just so many factors that go into where an individual will end up. So, you know, how do you work in that individualism into this larger process that has to work for everyone? Absolutely. And that is, you know, a really great question. I will let that hang a little because <laughs> I think that we don't have all the answers, right? Yeah. We, I would love it if we could figure this out in a, this podcast. That'd be amazing, right? We'd get a lot of downloads. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. I, we did it. We did it. We fixed it. Mental health. And so many of these topics in this stigma series are very heavy and we don't want to make light of them, but it is okay for us not to have all the solutions. In episode two of this podcast, I spoke with a professor who studies stigma and one of the ways she talks about combating it is just by exposure and having these conversations and educating yourself to the struggles that other people face. And so thank you so much for sharing these stories with us. I would love to hear and get put it back to you and see if you have any, any additional thoughts of how folks who are listening can really either support their own children or support the communities around them and in what has been successful for you over at Kids Rank. Yeah. I mean, we started kind of during COVID, uh, we call it a conversation around uh, foundations, a conversation around the mental health of military and, and veteran kids. And it really is that, I mean, I think just talking right? Like being open to, to hearing what's going on in people's lives and, and understanding and, and really learning about what's out there. I mean, because, you know, as we've been saying, I mean, there, there really is a lovely network of organizations um, and people that are, you know, out there really knowledgeable about, you know, their area of focus. You know, we talked to, to the focus program in, in California. I mean, they're nationwide, but, you know, they do family resilience training. And, you know, I, I just think that 
I, I've seen in this last year and been very excited about all these organizations wanting to collaborate and really work collectively to find, you know, recognizing that, you know, we all do our piece of the puzzle, but we can't do it alone. And the solution is probably based in working, you know, really well collaboratively together and being open to hearing, you know, other solutions that might be different and how, how you might be able to support, you know, somebody else's work um, and what they're doing. So whether it's us that's doing the work or we are partnered with another organization because they will do a better, we want the kids to have the best experience. We want them to have, you know, the best chance at, you know, a, at growing up and, and feeling, you know, like they val are valued and matter. And so um, I think as civilians, you can learn more about our our culture, about military culture, you know, really by talking to, learning about the organizations, learning about programs that are going on in your community. Um, you know, we, we're gonna be doing some training with teachers, um, with M, partnering with, um, with MSEC um, and, and training our teachers around military culture. Um, we're gonna be working with the school district and, you know, some other uh, community organizations to make sure that, you know, we are supporting, you know, in our community, over 30% of the student body and, and a couple of the school districts are military because there's a base in the community. And so how are we making sure that not only our military people feel connect, our, you know, families feel connected, but that the civilian community has, you know, better understanding. So it's not this like behind the curtain <laughs> type of thing, and, yeah. um, you know, uh, and which which it, it tends to sometimes be. And and so I, I just think that the more that we can share and bring awareness and, and talk about our kids and kind of some of the challenges that they go through, but really we're a strength-based organization. Uh, we Our military kids are amazing and we just wanna make sure that we give them the resources that they need to continue to be amazing. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey, for joining me today with disruptive storytelling with military change makers. And thank you so much for being one of those military change makers. <laughs> I really appreciate it. And I know our communities do as well. If you like this episode of the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. If you are experiencing feelings of shame as a result of stigma, know that you are not alone. There are resources available to you. This could look like contacting your military inspector general in case of systemic issues or seeking free counseling services via Military OneSource online or by calling them at 800-342-9647. Want to share your disruptive story? Contact us at info at or visit us on our website at thepromiseact.org.